center. He ought to be at the center of our life, the center of our heart, the center of everything we do. Then I would say if you read the Bible and you don't see Jesus in every verse, you should go back and read it again. He is the Word. It is Jesus Christ. Every verse is talking about him. Every book is talking about him. It's an expression of who he is. But it wasn't meant to stay just on pages, on, on nice parchment paper and on really beautiful words but it was made to be living a living expression of Jesus Christ today amen that's what we are today as young people Jesus was young one day too well for more than one day for a few years of his life he was a young person just like you just like me I put myself in there too he was just like myself he was of my age he'd just been about a year into his ministry I'm 31 now but he just about a year into it before that it was the silent years those are the years that you're living in the years that are not much that was said about Jesus but he grew in favor with God he grew in stature and in favor with God amen that's what we're here for to grow in favor with the Lord amen I'm gonna just have a quick sword drill you can stay standing just take your Bibles we're going to go to one scripture. If you find it first, you can read it. Musicians, you can stay. It's all right. I want you to find me a scripture about Philip in the Bible. We had a song leader whose name was Philip. And we, had a, we have a minister tonight whose name is Philip. Philip Callahan is going to speak for us tonight. and I'm looking forward to that. I understood he spoke before at the Dole's place, I think, out at the, the farm out there. And uh, it's not really a farm, the acreage. It is a farm. You guys got horses, don't you? And chickens. It's a farm. God bless you. Hey, man, we need more farmers in this church, so we got it. <laughs> Amen. If you got it, start reading. You got, a, you got a verse about Philip? Who's got a verse about Philip? Come on, Brother Joel. You got a verse about Philip? If one of the Phillips find it first, we're in trouble. 
There's several in Acts. There's some in the book of John, different ones. Oh, thank you, Ethan. Ethan found it first. Acts chapter 8 and verse 39. Amen. Is that the best place to start there? Or is that the beginning of the, of the scripture in Acts chapter 8 there? It starts before that, I think. Amen. Verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of a God, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages to the, of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is the desert. I'm happy that this Philip didn't go south. He came north. God bless you, buddy. It says, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch, a great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. I'll be there in a couple weeks, Lord willing. It says, Who had the charge of all her treasures and had come to Jerusalem for to worship and was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet and then the spirit of then the spirit said unto Philip go near and join thyself to this chariot and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet of Isaiah and said understandest thou what thou readest and he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. And the place that the scripture which he was reading said he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. And in his, humili in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall... Declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? I wonder if there's some here tonight that are looking at a scripture or have a question in their mind or in their heart saying, Lord, what's this about? But I believe the Lord sent us a Philip to minister the word. And if you poll, God can speak to your heart, the question that you have. And he says this, he says, And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. I don't know if he's starting the same scripture tonight. I have no idea. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. So he came all the way from Isaiah, all the way to the beginning of Acts. You got to be baptized. They'd been in this chariot a a long time and he says as they were there he says what does hinder me and Philip said if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest and he answered I believe that Jesus is the son of God and he commanded the chariot to stand still and he went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch and baptized them and when they were come up out of the water the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing and Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Amen. You want to hear the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. Why don't we just sing a simple chorus together as we invite Brother Philip to come and speak. Lord, my heart is open. Won't you come inside? 
speak to you of our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of his wonders to us and his grace. I wanted to actually, Brother Ethan, if you could uh, load up the PowerPoint there. I don't know if that takes you a little bit of time. Uh, maybe while we're doing that, we'll turn to Isaiah chapter 61. We are going to start in Isaiah, maybe not the same verse that uh, Philip in the Bible had, but we'll, uh, so uh Sorry, musicians, I, I was going to sing a little song to start with, so I'm sorry. I should have made that more clear. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you know the song or not, but I, I just for myself, I wanted to sing a little song to set our thoughts tonight, if that's all right. Brother Ethan, uh, I'm not sure if he's got that PowerPoint, but... Everybody got Isaiah chapter 61? Okay, so... I'll just try this song. I don't know if you guys know it, but if you could pick it up and, and start singing it. I know my siblings know it, so they can sing out loud. And, okay. The sun is up, now I can go free. 
The chains that were holding me, I can no longer see. Heard a long trumpet sound, declaring my jubilee. And all that I once had again is restored to me, because the truth is revealed. He's opened the seals. Now and for always, the sun is up. The sun is up. Now I can go free. The chains that were holding me. I can no longer see. Heard a long trumpet sound, declaring my jubilee. And all that I once had again is restored to me, because the truth is revealed. He's opened the seals now and for always. The sun is up. Amen. Sorry, I guess you guys didn't know that very well, but uh, just wanted to set our thoughts on something tonight. Amen. So thank you, musicians. You can be dismissed. I'm sorry for that earlier. Amen. And so uh, we're already at Isaiah chapter 61, so we'll just pray. Last time I forgot to pray. I was so nervous, so we'll try to remember that tonight. It's definitely important to open in a word of prayer. Amen. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we just remember, Lord, a time when there was a group of slaves, Lord, and they were awaiting a, a day of release, Lord, a day of emancipation, Lord, and and they were looking for that day, Lord, and, and they climbed up on the hills just to get a glimpse of the sunlight as it came over, Lord. And, and Lord, this evening, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would give us a glimpse, Lord. Help us to climb up high and get a glimpse, Lord, of the light of glory shining down, Lord, that speaks of freedom to us, Lord. May chains fall off tonight, Lord. May people receive their freedom tonight, Lord. May there be souls be released, Lord, tonight. We just pray, Lord, that you would come and minister to us, Lord, and open to us, Lord, your word, and, and speak to each one of us, Lord, we pray. We just pray that you would be in the ministering of the word. May you receive the preeminence and the glory and the honor, for we love you and we appreciate you. And, and Lord, we want to just be in your hands, Lord, tonight. We pray that you would be with me, the speaker, and Lord, with every individual, Lord, the hearer, Lord, tonight. Lord, we just pray that you would be with each one of us in a special way, Lord, we pray. We commit this service with all that it is, Lord, into your hands, Lord. Just pray that you would be able to receive it and be able to work through it, Lord, tonight, we pray. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So if we just turn to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and we just want to kind of think about these as we're going through it. Bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so we know when, when Jesus 
was reading these scriptures, he would take the book, he would hand it back to the minister. There's no minister here tonight. But then, and then he would go and sit down and every eye was upon him. And so he would then turn to the people and he would say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. And we realized that Brother Bram will tell us to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord was to proclaim the jubilee. Brother Bram tells us that this, uh, to pro- that Jesus, he was actually announcing when he did that, he was announcing the soon coming jubilee. And so if that was the announcement of the soon coming jubilee in Jesus' day, in our day, we also received a this day, this scripture is fulfilled. And so tonight, we, we want to look at that because we also received an announcement of a soon coming jubilee to us. And so if we just continue reading now, it says, in the day of vengeance of our God, this is now pertaining to our day. Jesus paused at the comma, but now we go on. He says, in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And now we're, we're just going to pay special attention to verse 4 here. It says, And they shall build the old waste, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Amen. And uh, maybe let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer again. Dear Heavenly Father, we've opened the words, we've read them, Lord, but only you can open them to us tonight. We just pray that you would do that to each one of us, Lord. Just give us revelation. We realize that's more valuable to each one of us than anything we could ever receive, Lord, we pray. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So tonight we just want to speak on the final jubilee. And I'm sorry, I'm a little bit out of place here, so I'm just getting used to it. So, um, and if you don't mind, I, I'm not used to hearing myself reverb. So, I, um, if you can maybe turn it down a little bit or something, keep it up for the audience so that they can hear. But we, uh, okay. So, if we. Uh, we want to speak on the final jubilee tonight. How many knows what a jubilee is? Sorry, how many thinks they know what the final jubilee is? Not just a jubilee, but the final jubilee. Sorry, I, I didn't see the hand. Brother Max, what's the final jubilee? The wedding supper? Any other people going to throw something out? Stephen? The rapture. Okay, we'll see what Brother Brown said. Brother Ethan, if you can pull that up. And what will it be? Oh, brother, watch now. Watch close now. Don't miss it. It'll be the jubilee of the going up of the Gentile bride and the return of Christ to the Jew when they go out of bondage. Amen. Don't you see? From all the world they've gathered there for that day. Oh, my. See where we're at. We don't know what time it might happen. We're at the end time. Amen. Sorry, is it not working there, or you need me to do it? 
Okay. Okay, we'll try to catch on. Amen. So tonight we're going to be taking, that was from Daniel's 70 weeks, and we're going to be taking a few things. Yeah, sorry, you can be seated. I'm, I'm kind of scattered right now. I'm not used to being up here. So. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to be taking some, some different quotes out of Daniel 70 weeks. I uh, actually picked this up, kind of stumbled upon the topic of the final jubilee. I, I stumbled upon this in the fall. It was... Uh, just a, uh, I was preaching a, a series on God chose the place of worship. And I had just something popped into me, a revelation, just something God showed me that God chose the place of worship. And, he, and I, so I took that through the Bible and just traced it through and it was a real blessing to myself, just looking at the different things. I hope it was a blessing to others. But, um, and, and so just in that series, I, I preached a service on the Jubilee and then after that, I, I really felt like I needed to take out a Daniel 70 weeks, but I had a specific burden in my heart to minister on a certain something. And so I didn't know how the two fit together in these different things, and so I was listening to Daniel 70 weeks, and I just couldn't catch it. And I was listening to Daniel 70 weeks again, and I just couldn't catch it. And I think I listened to it three times and, and looked at different pieces and things, and, and nothing was making sense. It wasn't clicking, but I, I look at all these different pieces to it, and it just wasn't, so I was out doing snow and I, just working and, and it must have been the Lord just came down in, in a special way and just began to put the pieces together. And it's when he does that. I could try to figure things out, but when he comes along and he puts the pieces together. So tonight I just want to uh, try to share that with you, try to share what God brought. And, and it's just been something that's been special to me, something that I've been kind of living off of for the, the past few months there since, since I ministered that. So if we want to turn to Daniel chapter 9 and uh, use our clicker there too. Um, so Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. We're, we've got a number of scriptures and quotes tonight so I'll try to move quickly and I won't get you to turn to everything but if we'll turn to Daniel chapter 9. Start at verse 1. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the, uh, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes." So we'll just look at what Brother Bram says about that. I'm sorry. I, uh, he says, Daniel was concerned about his people because he had read Jeremiah the prophet and understood that Jeremiah had said that, there would be, that they would be in captivity for 70 years. And then he's seen in there, seen then, they had already been in captivity for 68 years. So he knew the time was at hand. So he set aside all his work, pulled down as it was the shades of his daily tasks, set his face to God, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went to fasting and praying that he might understand when that time would be. This is later in Daniel 70 weeks, I believe. He says, now that we find out that Daniel, he wanted this information for his people 
And I think if Daniel, reading the prophets before him, and had this kind of an understanding that he was near the end, and sought God to find out how close the end was, then I think we're justified by seeing that we're at the end of the road now. Put on not sackcloth and ashes, but throw off the things of the world and our cares of this life, and seek God to find out what day of the year we are in. Because we see we're at the end, and so that the church will fast and pray and be ready. That's why I have endeavored to take upon myself, not knowing how to explain this, because I bypassed it each time, and said them 70 weeks of Daniel because I could not understand it, and that's why I've taken it upon myself now to try to explain it. So then that's the same reason why we're here tonight. We want to look at these things. We realize we're at the end time. We realize that we're here at the close, and so I think we're justified to look into the book, look into what the prophet said before us, look at what he said, take it, and, and see where we're at, and, and so that we'll be in a position that we're ready for that day, ready for that hour. And so when, when Brother Bram, when he preaches this, he's, he's blazing a trail. He's out there. He's, this isn't really something that he's ever done before. And it's something that nobody else has ever really gotten correct before in church history. So he's out there and he's, he's down this trail. And, and to this day, Daniel 70 weeks, I feel like it's a trail less traveled. It's, it's something that's left kind of behind. And so, but it's on these less traveled trails, sometimes we pick up treasures. Sometimes we find little things that maybe we haven't seen before, right? And so we want to dig in and we want to pick up those little things, get those nuggets. And so by the grace of God tonight, we're going to just do some trail exploring. We're going to go up some trails. If I was taking you hiking, I'd, I'd like to take you to some different little points and show you some different things. I'd like to show you the waterfall and I'd like to show you different things on the trail, right? So tonight, we're just going to take this trail and we're going to look at some different little things along the way and, and maybe find some treasures. But we got to, I, I kind of need your attention as we're going. We're going to move pretty quickly. I, I need you to pay attention. Stick with me. I know, you know, they say that uh, about... Uh, you know, verbal um, comprehension is about, I don't know, 30% or something, or less than that, maybe 10%, and then it goes up to like 30% if you have words to look at. So that's why we got some words to, to kind of follow along with. Try to get 30% of comprehension tonight, but by the grace of God, we'll get what we need down here, right? Amen. We might not understand it all, but we need the revelation of what God's trying to say to come to us. So, and Daniel here, after this, in, in verse 3, we read up to verse 3, but then it goes into his prayer, and it begins to, he begins to pray. And, and if you want to take something home uh, to read, maybe at home, I would suggest you read that prayer from verse 4 of Daniel 9 down to, he goes down quite, to, uh, I think, uh, verse 23 almost, I think, down there. So if, if you would take that home and maybe read that, and then maybe compare that with Nehemiah chapter 1. In his prayer, he prays a very similar prayer. And it might help us if, if you would read that, maybe enter into a prayer like they prayed. Something we want to do. So no doubt, you know, we, we've heard different stories where the young people, right? So that means that there's older people that have gone before us and they've experienced different things. And as it always happens, the older generation shares with us stories of what happened to them when they were older. It's kind of like me, I'm the oldest, right? So I'm always telling my siblings 
when I was your age, such and such happened, right? So the older generation, they like to always say, when we were your age, such and such happened to us, right? And so they share with us their experiences, and that's supposed to help us. And most of the time, it does help us. It's wisdom, it's different things they share with us, they give us down through the ages. From their experience, they share with us wisdom and things. But growing up, I... I heard stories, and, and maybe from my grandfather, he, he told a, a specific story of you know him expecting to see the final jubilee, him expecting to see the rapture take place. And, and uh, my, my grandfather, he was raised not in the message, but he was raised in, in a cult just outside the message. You know, um, they were called the Latter-day Reign, so they knew about a prophet, but they had their own prophets, and they, they kind of went off on that. Um, so he knew there was a prophet in the land, and, and he had heard some things that the prophet had said. And, and so, you know, he was in high school in the mid-60s, or mid to late 60s, and uh, there's probably some people here in high school. Is there any people in high school, right? So you can maybe relate to that. So he, you know, he was in high school there, and, and they had a discussion in school you know, do you think there'll ever be an atomic warfare? And all the kids are like, yeah, you know, there'll probably be someday. Well, when will there be an atomic warfare? And so maybe some people are throwing out some dates or whatever. And he says, by 1973. And everybody's like, whoa, where did that come from, right? They're young people, they're here in their 60s, and there's going to be an atomic war in the next six years? You're crazy. Right? But my grandfather, he was taking, and he had heard that Brother Bram had predicted that the world would end in 1977, right? And so then he was subtracting three and a half years from that, and he figured 1973. It'll all be, you know, there'll be atomic warfare and then the tribulation, and I don't know how he had, had that all figured out. Probably had some things mixed up. But we've all heard similar stories, right? I, I was listening a couple months back to Brother Dwayne. Warschleger, he was, he was telling us about how he thought he'd never get his calf. He'd never be able to get his calf. They got in his family, they got a calf when they turned, I think it was 15. And, and, and so they would get a calf and be able to raise it and, and then, you know, be able to sell the beef or whatever, I guess. And so I guess that must have been around that time. And, and so he thought he'd never get to that age. He'd never get old enough to get his calf. The rapture would take place, things would take place, he'd be gone, raptured, out of here, because he had heard things. He had heard maybe 1977, he had heard these different things. And so, as young people, we hear these stories, and we can fall into the trap of thinking the same thing will happen to us. We'll grow old, we'll have children, we'll have grandchildren, time will continue on, Nothing will change since the fathers fell asleep. All things continue on. And we just become like that, right? Peter said that. And so, nothing could be further from the truth. We realize we are at the very end. And so, we want to guard ourselves against such thoughts. And so, this is just a peculiar thought, and it's not really maybe word-based, but... I wonder if we realize what generation we're in here in, in this church. Most of us fall under a certain generation. So there was, you know, my grandfather, he was the baby boomers. And they came out after World War II and, and had their time in life and grew up through the different 
I guess the 60s and the different times, you know, into maybe the 70s. And then my parents, they were part of Generation X. And Generation X came along and they did their thing. And then there was another generation followed that, and that was gen the, they're called the millennials. And so, you know, and now we see the millennials and certain millennials are sitting here, and, but we see them gr growing old. We see them, you know, they're, they're slowly disappearing from the young people meetings, right? And getting married and, and different things, right? And so I always thought growing up that I was a millennial. People kind of told me I'm a, I'm a millennial, right? And so I didn't realize, and I didn't realize till recently, I was actually born into a new generation. I was the beginning of a new generation. And so that generation's name, so there was Generation X, there was Generation Y, was the millennials, and now we're in Generation Z. Z, well, is there anything else in the alphabet? Or is this the final generation? Right? I, I know they went on to Generation Alpha, but I have this peculiar thought. What if Generation Alpha never comes to the age of accountability? What if Generation Z is the final generation? And so I, I think Generation Alpha, the, the oldest ones are maybe 10 years old. I, I think they're, they're about that. Generation Z runs from 1977 to 2000. And 12. So, anyways, it was just a peculiar thought that I had that maybe Generation Z, could it be the final generation? There has to be a final generation one of these days. And I thought, wouldn't that be kind of peculiar if, you know, just the way that they named the generations? What if this was the final generation? What if this was the last one? Right? So, how many knows what King David was a, a foreshadow of? He was a foreshadow of something. It's a real easy answer if anybody wants to answer. He was a foreshadow of something. Christ. He was a foreshadow of Jesus, right? And so then after David came along, his son came along, and his son built a temple, a many-membered temple. And what was that a foreshadow of? Brother John? Yeah, so it would be the church, right? Because Jesus, David foreshadowed Jesus, and then Solomon comes along and he builds a temple, and it foreshadowed the church, right? So we, we see this foreshadow. So a foreshadow is, is um, like if an author is writing a book, right? We understand what a foreshadow is. They put certain things into the book ahead of time drop hints of what's going to take place, right? So God, as he was playing out time and doing different things, he left certain foreshadows for us that would speak of what was going to take place afterwards, right? So as um, God came along, and, and this was just something, he had these different transitions, and he often had a prophet there at the different transition. And so there was a, a prophet, Samuel, he came in and he transitioned the people away from the tabernacle that was in Shiloh, and Shiloh was plowed like a field. It was destroyed. God judged Shiloh. That was where the, the tabernacle was. And then they transitioned from that. You remember Samuel was a little boy at Shiloh, and then he transitioned into David. Uh, God 
chosen David. It was promised that it would be out of the tribe of Judah. And foreshadowing that it wasn't a place. God's chosen place was not a, a physical location. It was a person. It was Jesus Christ. It was, so God was foreshadowing that by doing that in King David. But then after King David, he picks it up with Solomon. And, and Solomon begins to build a temple again. And he builds a many-member temple. And so that temple is a type of the church. And so we see the period that the temple exists is a foreshadow, actually, of the seven church ages. So we see it start out glorious. We see it start out like a day of Pentecost. There's an amazing anointing, a, 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 something that takes place, right? And the glory of God fills the house, and they have this glorious golden age in Solomon's age. And so it's like the Ephesian age, just this glorious time, but then quickly they left their first love. And they drift away, right? So we see that. And then through, you know, their, their foreshadow there, we see they had these ups and downs and, and things kind of just kept backsliding. But they had reforms. They had different good kings and then they would have a bad king and then and these different ups and downs. They had dark ages under men like Ahab and Jezebel. And then they would have reforms under a man like Hezekiah and different things. But when we come to the seventh church age, their seventh age, we come to a final or a complete blackout, an apostasy. And the Babylonians come in and they destroy the temple. It's completely obliterated. Uh, Jeremiah would say it would be plowed like a field just like Shiloh was. So we see that take place in their their foreshadow of the seven church ages. And we see that. So Laodicea is desolate. The temple has been destroyed. Jesus Christ is on the outside. So that's the age that we live in. And so we, we're just taking this and picking it up just so that we can kind of understand the day that we live in. It's one of the most misunderstood things is the day that you're sitting in right now. You can look back at other ages and you can begin to understand them because you kind of, it's in force or whatever they call it, behind you, right? It's 2020 vision back behind you. But to see where we're at right now in the age that we're in. So he stands outside. And so Israel, they had this through, they had to be in bondage, be in Babylon for 70 years to make up for all the years that they didn't keep the Sabbath years. And so we'll look a little bit at that in a little bit here. Um, so this is where Daniel's at. Daniel lived his, almost his whole life in Babylonian captivity. He lives through this seventh church age, through this darkness, through this Laodicea, right? And so he's at the end of this period of Babylonian captivity, and it's two years to the end of it, and God gives him this vision and, and begins to show him things. And he was seeking God for this understanding. And so the angel comes to tell him, if we pick it up in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thine holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks and the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. 
And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Amen. So we're just going to look at this table here, and I don't know the pointer button. I guess that's it. Okay. Um, so we begin. Can you guys see that, or do we need the lights dimmed? It's good? It's good? Okay. Okay, so we begin with our Sabbath. So every seventh day of the week, they had to keep a Sabbath, right? We're familiar with that. And so then we get every year in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, they had to keep it a day of atonement. And that ties in with Revelations 10.7, a jubilee, a release. So over here on the right, we see Daniel's number. So this is going to help us understand what the angel was speaking to Daniel. So one day is one year. Every seventh year was a special year. It was the Sabbath year, the release year. And so one, and that was called a week, every seventh year. So, every, so one week is one Sabbath year. And then every seventh Sabbath year, seven times seven, equals 49 years, a trumpet would be sounded on the 10th day of the seventh month. And that was the Jubilee year. The 50th year would be the Jubilee. So seven weeks is now 49 years. So then 10 Jubilees is 490 years. And so whenever you're speaking of Bible uh, numerology, whatever, when you add a zero to something, it just magnifies whatever number that is, whatever. That's how I understand it anyway. So that would be a jubilee as well, but a magnification of the jubilee. So a super jubilee. I'm just going to say super for lack of maybe a better word. So 70 weeks, whoops, okay. 70 weeks is 490 years. So 70 jubilees, oh, okay, so this final one is an interesting one. Brother Branham brings this thought in Daniel's 70th week. He brings the thought of 70 jubilees equal to 70 times 49 years, which would be 3,430 years. And he calls it the final jubilee. It's 70 times 7 weeks. So 70 jubilees. Okay, so now we're just going to take a look. This is the, the prophecy, and this is probably too small for you to see real well. Can you, it's kind of small. Can you, can you read anything on there? No, okay. I got a bigger version on the next slide, but I uh, just wanted to show you. So Daniel says, now therefore, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks and the street shall be built again. So this over here on the left, and just focus on these, these shaded lines for now. I know you can't read anything on there. But this is where Daniel was when he, when he got, he was at the beginning of this. So then we find a 91-year period 
before Daniel's 70 weeks begins to count. And that's very interesting. I never ever knew that that existed before. And there's some amazing things that take place in that 91 years. So then when, when the 70 weeks begin to be uh, counted is when the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem is given. So first of all, we get seven weeks. It says, uh, shall be seven weeks. So we get a seven-week period. That's what that line is. It's 49 prophetic years. And then a special man shows up on the scene. His name is Malachi. And that's in, I think that says, I can't read it. And I'm a lot closer than you. So, uh, so anyways, Malachi appears there. And then we get, it says, uh, three score and two weeks, which is 62 weeks. And so that's this long period. So from Malachi, then there's this 62-week period, and then we find Jesus, the Messiah, on the scene. Now down here below, and this is just quickly, these are natural years, the yellow, yellow bar there, that's, that's natural years. The lighter one down there is prophetic years. So there was a natural fulfillment from the commandment that Ezra received. Ezra received a commandment earlier. Uh, I think it's a difference of about eight years or something like that. Or maybe it's a bit longer than that. Uh, Yeah, so anyways, and then Nehemiah comes along and rebuilds the wall. And that's where this prophetic uh, years begin to be counted. So we realized Brother Brown, when he preached Daniel's 70th weeks, he showed us that it was prophetic years, 360 days in a year as opposed to our 365.24, whatever it is. So this is a bit blown up here. You can probably see that better. Okay, so uh, on the left there we find uh, this was a jubilee that they celebrated in 574 BC. They were in captivity. Ezra chapter 40 verse 1 begins to describe it and you kind of have to be a Jew to understand why it's a jubilee but they they understand that that was a jubilee. Um, So 536 BC they come out of Babylon. So Daniel was just two years before that he's seen his vision. So they come out of Daniel uh, come out of Babylon and for 21 years they're working on the temple and so we get different prophecies like Haggai and so forth in there. Uh, in there, we find the story of Esther. She's right in there somewhere within a 10-year span. They say, you know, this was the king that she was married to, and, and so she was in there somewhere. Uh, Ezra, we get in 458 B.C., and then we get Nehemiah, and I guess that's 13 years, if my math is correct. Nehemiah builds the walls 13 years later in 445 B.C. So this... Uh, period in here, we're not going to get time tonight to go into much of it, but it's, it's a very interesting period that we find. Um, and then that's just blown, out, blown up the other side of it. Um, so we find Jesus there. He has three and a half years, prophetic years of ministry. And there's different scriptures. I don't, it's cut off there, but um, in Revelations it speaks of uh, 1,260 days, which when you take that and you divide that by 3.5, it 
is exactly 360 days in a year. So that's where we get our prophetic year from. And uh, so, okay. So during this time, we'll just go back one. Um, during this time in here, there is multiple waves that come out of Babylon, are called out of Babylon, they come out under different calls, and they would begin to build the temple, they would begin to do different things. Then we have Ezra comes along, and he begins, he actually establishes a priesthood and so forth. We, Brother Ed showed us that video of how they were trying to establish a priesthood in Israel again with the red heifer and so forth. Um, so they actually, under Ezra, established a, a priesthood again under that, and then 13 years later we see Nehemiah comes along and he builds the wall. He does that. Um, and so what, what I found so interesting about this was when they come out of Babylon and they're rebuilding the temple and so forth, it takes them only 21 years to, to rebuild the temple. And then there's this time of waiting, time of waiting, time of waiting. And it doesn't seem like a whole lot's happening in there during that time. And they're just waiting and waiting. And then Ezra comes out and he establishes a priesthood. And then they're still waiting. And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then a man named Nehemiah shows up. And he comes along and he, he begins to build the wall. And when he builds the wall, it takes him, uh, I believe it was 52 days total to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So you can think of that. It took them 21 years to rebuild the temple. But then a man comes along and it takes only 52 days after years and years and years and years of waiting. And so you think, well, why didn't they rebuild it before then? if it was that easy, and it would only take 52 days. But in that, we find an amazing type, that here we have received a message. We have received something restored back to us. And it may be only take maybe 21 years to establish that, to preach a message, to bring us something, to establish us. But then there's this period of waiting, and we find ourselves in a period of waiting. But it comes down to the final, final, final moments and it's a period of, Brother Bram said, maybe 40 days of resurrection, of jubilee, of rapture. So we come down to this, and, and so we, we find them come to this point, and I like to think of it as the new Jerusalem. They have rebuilt Jerusalem, and so here in our day, we're rebuilding Jerusalem, but it comes down to that final moment of rebuilding, where we step into that body change and that final jubilee takes place. So there's all this time of waiting in there. So I will just leave us on that slide, I guess, for now. Um, okay, if you could turn the lights back on, thank you. Um, um, so we remember in the Bible, Jacob, right? And he came along and he seen Rachel and he told Laban, I'll work for Rachel, I'll, I'll work for you for Rachel for seven years. So he's working and working and working and working and working through these seven years, and he's hot and he's sweaty and he's tired and he's, oh, but it's so worth it. And the, and the Bible says that it was but a few days, it felt like to him, because of his love for Rachel, right? So he gets to the end of these seven years of working for Rachel, and he comes and he has a wedding, and he has a marriage, and he gets married, and he finds out he's not married to Rachel. He's not married to the one who he foresaw in his mind before the foundation of the earth. He's married to Leah. And so we find that God, he's working through seven 
church ages with the Jews. He's working and he's working and he's working and there's different things happening and different things and he's paying and he's, oh, Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. And he's working, working, working. And when he gets to the end of those seven church ages, there's a marriage takes place and there's a resurrection that takes place. And, and people come out of the graves, but it's not Rachel. It's Leah. It's the Old Testament saints. So, when we speak of a final jubilee here, we're not expecting to see Job. We're not expecting to see Abraham. We're not expecting to see Sarah. We're not expecting to see Jacob or Rachel or any of the other people that were in the Old Testament. Why? Because they already had a resurrection. They already had their jubilee. They already came out after seven years of work and went to be with God, were resurrected into their uh, resurrection. Uh, you know, taken. So we, we see God do that. And then uh, Jacob, he had to wait for seven days. One week, he had to spend a week with Leah before, and, and Laban said, you know, just cool down. I'll give you Rachel too. Just spend a week with Leah, and then I'll give you Rachel. So he had to fulfill one week. And so we see God do the same thing. He's fulfilling one week, so he, he waits seven weeks, 49 days with Leah, with the Old Testament saints. 49 days waiting, waiting, waiting. We know that Pentecost was the 50th day. So he's waiting through his week with Leah. He's waiting through with the Old Testament saints. And then another marriage, and he gets to marry Rachel. He gets to marry his New Testament bride. And that's the day of Pentecost. We know that he married her under a down payment. How many of us know that the Holy Ghost is the earnest of our inheritance, the earnest of our redemption? It's not the full price, but it's a down payment. So he married her under a down payment. And how glorious under the down payment. The Holy Ghost came down on the day of Pentecost, and he marries his bride on that day. But then we see Jacob, and he has to begin to work again. And he's working, and he's working, and he's working, and he's working. And so what's peculiar about this is that there was a certain thing that could not happen as long as she was not fully paid for. Rachel had an issue where she was barren. She could not bear children. So as long as she's not fully paid for, she cannot have children. Leah could bear children. Leah was resurrected. Leah had a glorified body. But Rachel could not. The New Testament church, he's still working for. Though she was the true elected one, Though she was the one chosen before the foundation of the world. Rachel was Jacob's choice. But yet she could not bear children. Because she has not been paid for fully. And so I wonder, and this is just a curious thing. I wonder if you've ever wondered, why were the birthright mothers barren? Why was Sarah barren? Why was Rebecca barren? Isaac had to entreat the Lord to open her womb. Why was Rachel barren? Why was there this barrenness? And so God was trying to tell us 
his church would be barren through seven church ages. There would not be the full resurrection through those seven church ages. And so God would begin, would continue to work through these seven church ages. So in the church age book, Brother Branham would say, now the uncovering is not only the revelation of the person of Christ, but it is the revelation of his future works in the oncoming seven church ages. So he's continuing to work through seven church ages. And when the revelation came in our day, it came not only to reveal him, but to reveal his working through those seven church ages. So we find Jesus continuing to work. Remember Boaz when he redeemed Ruth? He had to pay double. He had to pay for Naomi, and then he had to pay for Ruth. So God had to pay for the Old Testament saints, and he had to pay for the New Testament saints. But we find because he married her, under a down payment, he now works in and through his bride to accomplish what he left for this specific time. And that's the church age book as well. It's not on the screen, but because he married her at Pentecost. And so I wonder how much of us actually believe that he now works in and through his bride. When we seen the lamb step forth, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, when he steps forth and he takes the book out of the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, we see he has seven eyes and seven horns. And those seven eyes type seven church age messengers. And his seven horns type the seven spirits that would work through the seven church ages. Showing what? His work through seven church ages. It was him working through seven church ages through his bride. And so when he reached over and he took a hold of that book, it was the book of the life of the Lamb. The record of the life of the Lamb as it lived through the ages. In this book are the names of every individual who ever had that life, whoever had a part with that life in them. And all that God was, he poured into Christ. And all that Christ was, he poured into the church. And so when the life of the Lamb came down in human flesh as Melchizedek, he told the secrets of Sarah in the tent behind him. And when the life of the lamb came down in the human flesh as Jesus, he told Simon what his name was. He told the woman at the well she had five husbands. And when the life of the lamb came down in human flesh in the bride, it did the same thing. You say, well, that was prophet. It was also bride. Brother Branham never referred to it as the sign of the prophet. 
but always the sign of Messiah. I was actually frustrated with that as a young man. I began ministering you know, with the young people and doing Bible studies and stuff when I was about 18 or so and, and different things, and then I'd maybe write different tracks and different things. And I was like, why doesn't he ever say it's the sign of the prophet? I had a revelation of prophet. Why, why doesn't he ever say it's the sign of the prophet? I mean, it's so simple. If, if people could just see prophet, then, you know, they could see the rest of it, right? And so I'm like, you know, and, and if he keeps saying that it's the sign of the Messiah, people might mistake him as the Messiah and say he's the Messiah. Like, so why does he keep saying it's the sign of the Messiah? Why doesn't he just say it's the sign of the prophet? What do you, he just keeps saying it's the sign of the Messiah, the sign of the Messiah. I'm like, just say it once, that he's the sign of the prophet. But he doesn't. Why? I was missing a revelation. I was just young. And, and sometimes that happens when you're young and you're working and you're doing different things. You don't maybe see, and I'm sure I don't see yet, the full revelation of what God's trying to show us. But as you catch different things, you go, oh, what? That's why. That's why. That's why he never said the sign of the the prophet. He always said it was the sign of the Messiah. He was trying to express something. There was a revelation behind it. Something he was trying to tell us. There was more revelation. So the, the, the attraction on the mountain is no longer the prophet, but the prophecy. And when John the Baptist stood on the shores of Jordan, he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when we had a prophet on the scene, he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God that took the seals off the book. Behold, it's changed from the prophet to his prophecy. Behold, the Lamb of God. What was it? It was the life of the Lamb in bride form. Took the book in hand and opened the seals in 1963. And we must identify ourselves with that life of the Lamb. We must identify ourselves. And if, the Holy, if we have the Holy Ghost, it identifies us in that life. It identifies us in the life of the Lamb. And, and when you're identified with something, you're, you're identified with it. I was with Mary when she seen Jesus on that resurrection morning. I was there on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached the first gospel sermon. I was there when Peter and John went into the temple and seen the man at the gate beautiful and said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, the life of the lamb, I give that to you. And a man stood up under that life and began leaping and praising God under that life of the lamb. I was there when Cornelius first received the Holy Ghost while Peter was yet speaking the word. The Holy Ghost, you, you don't need to come and have to cry all night at the altar. The Holy Ghost can fall on you while you're hearing the word. That's how it first fell on Gentiles. So I was there when that took place. I was there when a man named Ananias laid his hands on a man named Saul and said, Lord Jesus, give him back his sight under the life of the Lamb. I was there when there was a woman a seller of purple named Lydia. I was there when Paul stood before Caesar and gave his answer. I was there when Peter was crucified upside down. I was there when Joan of Arc was burnt at the stake, screaming for mercy. I was there 
When John Wilcliffe was turned out of Oxford University, I was there in the dungeon when John Huss stood up and told the jailer, I thank you that you have made a way of escape for me, but God has shown me not my will, but his will be done. I will die for the cause of this gospel. I will die for the life of the Lamb. I will go to the stake and be burnt for this gospel. And that repercussed back into his country of Czechoslovakia and a people, a whole nation broke free of Rome. I was there when Luther nailed his 98 theses, I think it was, or maybe it was 95, at the door of Wittenberg. I was there when Wesley preached the sanctifying power of God in the open fields of England. I was there when Charles Spurgeon thundered out his sermons against organization. He had recognized that Jesus Christ was on the outside of his organization. He realized, and, and he began, to, and people would say, that was the fall of, of Charles Spurgeon. He began to go down. People began to leave him. His great auditoriums were no longer packed out. But to me, that was the crowning of a man's ministry. Because the life of the lamb in him was catching the day and the hour that he was living in. And he began to thunder out and say, how can you have anything to do with those organizations? How can an infidel and a Christian walk together? How can those things go together? They do not go together. Leave those organizations. And he left his Baptist organization. He left it and, and he, his church would become independent. I was there in 1933 when the pillar of fire came down over the river, over the Ohio River. I was there in Regina, Saskatchewan when a vision broke of a little girl flipping a pencil in the air and coming down and striking her in her eye. I was there in 1963 when a blast shook down. And a, I was there caught up in a cloud with seven angels. I was there. I was there too when my grandfather would take my grandmother in his arms and say, honey, leave hell is off the word. And I was there when Brother Harold first placed his foot in Uganda. I was there through the many years that he shepherded this flock. Why? Because of the life of the Lamb. I'm identified with something. And each one of you can identify with that same life of the Lamb. And that same life lives in us. So Rachel, she was barren through seven church ages. The church was barren through seven church ages. While Jesus was fully working. Working through and in his bride. But there came a day when Rachel was no longer barren. What was it? The promised seed. The birthright son on the inside. And Joseph's birthright, it's a whole sermon in itself, and we're not going to get into it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 tells us he was the birthright son. And so where did it go from him? Well, it was Christ. Christ was the son of Joseph, as was supposed, was the son of Joseph, who was the son of Jacob. It's no coincidence. He was the son of Joseph. He was the birthright son, Jesus was. 
And so Joseph was a type of what? Christ, right? So in her is this new life. God is now able to do something in the church that he's never been able to do through seven church ages. Never before has this ever taken place where Christ is in her to such an extent. So what does the birth of Joseph mean? The life is now in her, Rachel, but when that birth takes place, what is it? Well, it's the final jubilee. It's the rapture. It was going home time for Jacob when Joseph was born. What was the birth of Benjamin? Benjamin was Joseph's younger brother, also of Rachel. What's the birth of Benjamin type? It's the rapture of 144,000 Jews. A rapture. So, and I hope I say this right, but how long is the gestational period for a human? It's nine months. It takes nine months for the baby to form, for this life inside to form. Church Age book, Brother Brown says, the Pentecostals came along last and they organized. The spirit left. Though they don't believe it, but he did. That marriage brought death. Then the light of the oneness of the Godhead came. They organized and they died too. Then after the fire of God fell on the Ohio River in 1933, a healing revival swept the world, but it never came through any organization. God went outside the Pentecostal groups, outside of organization. And I'll just pause here. He was outside of the church, knocking. And what he is going to do in the future is going to be outside organization too. God can't work through the dead He can only work through the living members. And those living members are outside of Babylon. What did the return of the pillar of fire mean for the bride? It was the beginning of a gestational period. It was the beginning of a new life inside her. For the first time in seven church ages, the bride was no longer barren. Is no longer barren. It was the beginning of a 91-year pregnancy outside Babylon. So here we find the date for our coming out of Babylon. Maybe we'll go back a slide just in case we missed it. Here we find the date for coming out of Babylon. And you're all very smart. And so you've already calculated from 1933 to 2023. Oh, wait, that's 90 years. And we thank Princess Otto for their wonderful picture. 90 years. So how close could we be? 
90 years. Brother Brown says, and this is also Daniel's 70th week, he says, now mark down in your book a little scripture here I want to give you. Leviticus 25, beginning with the 8th verse. God called a jubilee. Every 49th year, the 50th year was the jubilee. We know that. We understand that. From the, from the first jubilee of Leviticus 25, 8, in 1977 will be the 70th jubilee, making exactly 3,430 years. Jubilee means the going up, the release. Oh, we're watching for the coming of that glad millennial day when our blessed Lord shall come and catch his waiting bride away. Oh, the world is groaning and crying for that day of sweet release when our Savior shall come back to earth again. Did you get that? Congregation says amen. Now, if you're like me, you might be going like, Brother Bram, why did you have to put a year in there? Like, oh, right? And it kind of, when, when Brother Bram put that, and for me it was kind of a damper on Daniel's 70th week. It's like, because we're still here, right? Why did he say 1977? So it kind of puts you a, a damper on that for me. But we, we just look at this. Brother Bram, he brings this idea here of a 70th jubilee. This 70th jubilee would be the final jubilee. It would be the rapture. And that this jubilee would be counted from the beginning of jubilees, when the counting began. That is, when Israel entered the promised land and they conquered the land, they began to count the years of the jubilees. And every 50th year, Every 49 years, they had a 50th year that was a jubilee year. And they would celebrate that. So we don't know what date Brother Bram had for that. And he references a chronology by Paul Boyd. And I've searched for it and looked for it and can't find a chronology by Paul Boyd. So I don't know what date he had. However, the best biblical chronologies that we're able to find, and, and so a good Bible chronology will tie the, the dates together so that they all dovetail in the Bible. There's different ones, and they'll try to prove, you know, oh, the Exodus took place in such and such and such, but then you look over here in the Bible, and you're like, no, no, it couldn't work like that. And so there's, there's about three different things that point to the, the Exodus date that are all work together, and, and so the Bible chronologies, they pick that up, and, and they go and they look at that, and they figure out what year it's best. So the best date that we have for the entering of the promised land is 1406 B.C. So it, it's a fairly simple calculation. Don't phase out because it's a calculation. It's subtraction, okay? I think you guys learned that in grade one or something like that. So it's 3,430, take away 1406 B.C., would come to a day in 2024. And then we would generously add a year because year zero doesn't exist. So that would bring us to 2025. So Brother Bram, we don't know what day he had, 
But he pointed us to 1977. When we go and search the books and find the date, the best date that they can give us, it points us to a day maybe within two years. And when Daniel looked in the books, think about it now, when Daniel looked in the books, he found it could be just two years away. Right? And he got down to business with God. He went to fasting and praying and getting in position to be ready for a day. So we want to be ready for a day. Ready for a day that could be within two years. Could be tonight. So, okay. You flip the page. But we're not done, so we'll, we'll just look at this. What is the difference between the prophetic years and the natural years in these 3,430 years? What would the difference be? And this is striking. The difference is 49 years, one jubilee cycle. One jubilee cycle. So if we take that and we calculate from 2025 and calculate to our prophetic year of what the prophetic year would be. Prophetic year is 49 years shorter. So that would be 2025, take away 49 years would be 1976. So did Brother Branham know that that was the prophetic year, 1977? We're one year off, but when you're talking about thousands of years, we can give grace for one year. Did he know that that was the prophetic fulfillment for the final jubilee? Remember Daniel's 70 weeks, it had a prophetic fulfillment, or sorry, a prophetic and a natural fulfillment. If you count 490 years from Ezra's prophecy to the time that Jesus was here, from the time that Ezra came out of Babylon and went and began building in Jerusalem, to the time that Jesus came is exactly 490 natural years, but it doesn't fit the prophecy properly. To be able to fit the prophecy properly, you have to go to prophetic years. And that goes from Nehemiah when he rebuilt a wall at the end of 91 years. So we, we, we see there was two fulfillments. There was a, a prophetic fulfillment and a natural fulfillment. So, how many of us know we've already received a resurrection? Why, sure. He is the resurrection, the truth and the life. And what a resurrection that was. Speaking of Jesus' resurrection, but what a resurrection this is. We heard our pastor in, in Uganda speaking that. What a resurrection this is. Resurrected out of creeds and dogmas. Resurrected out of cold, formal denominationalism. But friends, what has happened on the inside, the life that is now in her, must at some day be delivered to stand in the natural. No longer hidden inside, 
what was taking place, what has taken place in the spiritual must take place in the physical. The prophetic jubilee happened almost 49 years ago, but now must happen in the physical. The final rending of the veil from top to bottom. Revelations 12, verse 5 says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne, raptured at birth. Who was that child? I'm going to paraphrase from Question and Answers 1964. Brother Branham, I'm confused. Who is the Son of Man? Are you the Son of Man? Isn't the pillar of fire the Son of Man? Or am I confused? And Brother Branham's answer was, I am not the Son of Man. I'm paraphrasing, but this is his answer. I'm not the Son of Man. I am a Son of Man, revealing the Son of Man. And then he says, and neither is the pillar of fire the Son of Man. He says, the pillar of fire is the anointing. Come down to anoint who? Human beings. The pillar of fire is still in spirit form. It needs a body in order to be the son of man. Did you catch that? In order to be the son of man, it has to be a body. And so he says the pillar of fire comes to anoint the son of man. Oh my. So what we're seeing happen in bride form, was not the sign of prophet. We see in the sign of the Son of Man, the sign of Messiah. Brother Bam says in works is, not, works is Faith Expressed, 1965, he says, the Son of Man will be revealed in a body of flesh. You people, the church, just exactly like it was before the days of Sodom. I called a group away from all of them, setting out, believing the promise of God. Glory. I don't know if any of you guys remember my text from last time. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And I read it a little, I changed out body for bride. It's just a little revelation. But a bride hast thou prepared me. Brother John is the son of man ministry here on the earth. It's a message he spoke that we all enjoyed. Brother Brown says, now he came down and he manifested himself there by turning his back to the tent where Sarah was and told Abraham what Sarah was thinking in the tent. That's right. Now, Jesus himself said, at the day when the Son of Man is being revealed, in other words, the Son of Man, the ministry of Jesus Christ himself, the church will come through justification, through Luther, through sanctification, through Wesley, through the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the Pentecostals, 
and go right on into the perfection of the Son of Man, that when husband and wife will be the same self persons, God will be so manifested into his bride, his church, till they will both be the same. They are one. Now you see where we're at. 1965, God's provided place of worship. What is the secret of all this? The word is in her, as it was in Mary. That's the church age book. When she knows who she is, she'll be gone. That birth, the end time birth of Christ, that birth that we looked at in, in Revelation chapter 12 is your body change. The next thing that we see in Revelations 12 is Israel being fed in the wilderness for three and a half prophetic years while the Gentiles receive their tribulation. Just like Elijah, who was fed in the wilderness for, for three and a half years during the drought. And then right after that, we see Lucifer. When this child goes up, when this rapture takes place, Lucifer comes down. And when does he do that? When she goes up, he comes down. Remember Esther and Haman? When she took her position, when she took the king's signet, and when she stamped it on the book, he was down. There was no more Mr. Haman he was defeated. So when she fully comes to her place, when she's raptured, he comes down. And that's when the tribulation starts. The end time birth of Christ. We'll just read that quickly. Uh, this is Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared to God that they should feed her for a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So that's three and a half prophetic years. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Amen. We're, we're about to close, so just be patient. This is the final quote where the Ram says, When all life is over and troubles and sorrows have flown for the last time, and we'll see him, and there we stand, young, immortal, forever in his presence, where there'll never be sin, sickness, heartache, sorrows, when all time will fade into eternity. Why? What a glorious thing. And then what does that make you do? Want to work now to get everyone in that position that you can for that rapture. I want, I've reconsecrated myself and I've promised God that I would try to do a double portion. I've done everything that I know how to do and I just wish I was, I was young fellow again, 18, 20 years old, and know what I know, how maybe I could stand up a little longer, visit a few more and something like that for the kingdom of God's sake. You young people this morning that's young, got a lot of youth in you yet. 
and not family ties and things. May God let you see the vision to see what hour we're living. So we want to see what hour we're living. How close are we at? What should we be doing? How should we be pressing on? How should we? How should we, Brother John, be living for the hereafter? How close is that hereafter? How close is that body change to us? How we ought to labor? How we ought to work? How we ought to, like Daniel, lay aside the things of this world? Lay aside all the things and focus on what, where we're at. Focus on God. Say, Lord, we're here in this hour. We're young people. We've heard stories of older generations and how the time just continued for them. But we know there has to come a day when there'll be a final jubilee, when there'll be a final rending of the veil, and we'll step out into glory, step into a body change, be raptured into our position with Christ. We know that we're at that hour. And so when, when, when Peter and Paul and the different saints that went on, Brother Ram said, they went down with an expectation that they were going to see him come back. And he said, they will rise and see him come back. They will join us because every one of them went down into the grave with an expectation. I'll see him. And because of that, And that expectation that they were under, God is going to raise them up so they can join us in a period of maybe 40 days, join us for that final jubilee, that final redemption, that final stepping out of the veil. How glorious. How our expectations ought to be. It won't hurt you to believe that Jesus is coming soon. God said that, or not, well, God through Brother Ram said, that if God had told John that it was going to be another 2,000 years, they might have fallen asleep. And so tonight we want to realize it might be less than two years. Let that wake us up. Let that put us into an expectation. When I was 17, I, I wrote something in a notebook. I wrote that I would be 26 years old when the rapture took place. And me and John, we were kind of fellowshipping on that a little bit here. How that, maybe that's not something that Brother Bram said, that this age would be the shortest age because we realize we're there. This April is, is the 117th anniversary of the beginning of the Laodicean church age, according to what Brother Bram said in the church age book. And so we realize we're here. And, and we were looking at it in different quotes, and it looks like it's... Maybe he didn't say that this would be the shortest one, but he said it's a short age. It comes to a very close coming down. So as as a 17-year-old, I I penned that in the back of one of my notebooks. I still have the notebook to this day. I I penned, I I think I said 19, or sorry, 2025, and I'd be 26 years old. And I don't regret having lived and having made decisions, expecting a rapture to take place when I was 26 years old. I don't regret that. I don't regret the different things that that put me down. And I don't think you'll regret living 
for a rapture. I don't think you'll regret living like it's tomorrow. Living like it's the next day or the next day. And if it's not that day, then it'll be the next day. You won't regret that. So put us on a path. It's our prayer tonight. God, put us on our path where we live every day like it's the next day. And the next day. And we will not be disappointed. You might go down in the grave, but you will see him come. You will be resurrected to stand there on that day. No matter what takes place. No matter if it's 5,000 years from now, Brother Brown would say, you will stand there at his coming. So how we should live, how we should be ready, how we should be caught into this life, caught into this rapture, caught into this condition. God has never been able through seven church ages to work through his bride like he's now able to. So how that ought to put us on our feet, how that ought to put us into a position with Christ to know that every devil is under our feet. That was the promise. Paul said, he will put him under your feet shortly. I can't remember it exactly right now. But that was the promise at the very beginning. I will send you a seed that'll bruise the head of that devil. And we catch the revelation, we are that seed. We are God's living representation here on earth in this hour. So how we ought to live in that. I know we fall short. I fall short. So many times you just, you get busy and you're just cares of life and so forth. And I'm not going to preach that whole, it's a whole nother, for another time. Some, some, you know, I wanted to really get into some of the prophets and different things in that 91 year and, and just the, the things that you see in there that speak to our day and how, how beautiful it was. But I had to, my notes were just going, I was like, no, I've got to put an end to this, right? So, so how marvelous, what an expectation that we should be under. Let's just bow our heads. And if you haven't fully fed on the Son of Man, to give you strength to fly above all these things of the world. May you at this time. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, this evening. Come to feed upon you. Come to feed upon your word, Lord, to give us strength. Strength to run the race. Strength that will give us revelation, Lord. Revelation that will give us strength, Lord, to, to live above everything of the world, Lord. That'll put us on a path, Lord, where we can be Jesus Christ in human flesh in this day, in this hour. That you can work in and through us, Lord. And how that you can manifest yourself, Lord, because you came in this age and manifested yourself just the same as you did when you came to a man named Abraham on the plains of Mamre. And you came in this day just as you did in human flesh. So we realize you're here just the same wanting to live in and through your bride, manifesting yourself. And Lord, may you have the preeminence in each heart here tonight. 
Give revelation, Lord, to these young people, Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you would lift them up above the things of this world, all the things that the devil would try to trap them, Lord. Lift them up above all their addictions and all the, the uh, Lord, things, just traps of the devil, Lord, that he would set forth for us. Lord, let us feed upon you now that we would lift above those things and fly above, Lord, in this age. We realize we're so close to the end, Lord, that you want people, young people here on the earth, Lord, that can be witnesses for you, witnesses for your life, witnesses for your glory. We just pray, Lord, that you pour yourself into each one, Lord. Just pray that you'd heal the broken heart, Lord, the different scars, the different things that have happened down through life. Lord, may it all wash away. Lord, may they realize that we're so close to the body change that scars can be removed, that things can take place, Lord, that healing can take place, Lord, because we know that we're here, Lord, just right on the brink of a a complete healing, of a complete body change where every molecule will have to be changed, every cell will have to be changed, Lord. So it's just a simple thing now, Lord, that you'd be able to just touch any little thing, Lord, in their life that they need help with, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that they go forth with that confidence, Lord, and be able to place that faith, that revelation, Lord, just anchor it, Lord, inside of them, Lord, we pray. We cannot do it, Lord, here tonight. But Lord, you can, and we just ask that you would be the special portion, Lord, for each young person here tonight, Lord. May they go forth, Lord, with more of Jesus in their heart, Lord, with more of a relationship with you, Lord, with something that will hold them through every temptation, through every snare, through every trial, Lord, we pray. We just commit this service into your hands, Lord. We thank you for how great you are, how powerful you are, how wonderful, how marvelous, Lord. Who would have thought? the things that you would lay in your word, Lord, the little foreshadowings and the different things that you would speak, Lord, to show forth yourself right here today in the midst of your church, living and breathing through us, Lord Jesus. We just commit the service into your hands, Lord. Commit each one. Commit ourselves, Lord, each one. We just ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Maybe sing that little song. Can't you see why I'm happy? Can't you see why I'm so happy? I've accepted the word. 